Well, hello, and thank you for joining with us again. Today, we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 33 and engaging with the idea of being in the presence of God. You know, if you were to meet me for the first time in my study, what would probably impress you is that there's an enormous amount of books there. You know, whole lots of shelves full of church history, um, entirely half a bookcase of translations of the original texts of the Bible, hundreds of other books, books about doctrine, all sorts of things. So if you were to meet me in my study for the first time, the impression that you would get about me, I hope might be that I'm a thinker, that I like ideas, that I like to study. You know, we Christians, we're known for what we think. We're known for what we believe. After all, what is a Christian if not someone who believes in the Trinitarian God, the Creator, the Sustainer, the Father, the Son, the Spirit? What is a Christian if not someone who has a worldview that's been shaped by the Bible and matches the Bible's understandings of the world's problems and its solutions? We are believers. We're known for what we believe. Um, very often in church, we recite a thing called the Apostles' Creed, a doctrinal statement of belief. We recite the Ten Commandments when we meet. Even Hillsong Church in Sydney responded to an Anglican minister a couple of years ago who wrote, I wish Hillsong, he tweeted, I wish Hillsong would write a song about the Apostles' Creed. And so they did. I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I've got books on my bookcase which have titles like, you know, the ten essential things that all Christians must believe or five essential truths of the gospel or, you know, books in the vein of like, here we stand and we can do no other. And when I look at my life, when I look at our churches, I see an immense focus on belief. And don't get me wrong, that's critical, it's important, very important, very important. Christians have even died uh, for the sake of defending the truth of what Christians believe. So I hope beliefs are important to you. Beliefs were also important to Moses, who we read about in Exodus chapter 33. And even before that chapter, earlier, God has given the Ten Commandments to Moses. Uh, isn't that what we think of when we think about Moses? We think about the Ten Commandments, you know, the fundamental commandments of, of our religion. But in the text in Exodus chapter 33, there's another remarkable truth for us to grasp. Moses believes, but his beliefs are not enough. They're not enough to sustain him. And so he comes to God and he asks for something more. Believing's important, but I think we learn from Exodus chapter 33 that it's only half the formula for being God's people. Beliefs are the foundation on which a greater life with God can be built, but there's something more without which Moses doesn't want to take one more step. Moses can't imagine succeeding 
in life or in the plans that God has for him, the tasks that God gives him with his people. He can't imagine succeeding without this other thing, this other essential thing. He can't imagine God's people succeeding in any sense of the word without this other thing in addition to their beliefs. He can't imagine living a life that pleases God without this other thing, this other essential thing. And this other essential thing, in addition to all he knows to be true, in addition to his beliefs, this other essential thing is the presence of God with him, the companionship of God with Moses, with with God's people. And so we see Moses saying to God in the early verses of of, uh, chapter 33, you've been telling me to lead your people, you've been telling me to lead the people, but you haven't let me know who you're sending with me. And you've said, I know you by name and you've found favour with me. If you are pleased with me, then teach me your ways so I can know you and, yes, find favour with you. Remember, this nation is your people. And the Lord replies, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. My presence will go with you, God says, and I will give you rest. That's what the Lord promises. That's what God actually wants to give God wants to be with his people. God wants to be present with us. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will give you rest. So I want to reflect today on what it means to enjoy God's presence in our lives, not just to be a believer, but to be someone who dwells in the presence of God someone who dwells in God's presence. Well, what does the presence of God actually mean? Um, Literally, the Hebrew word for presence was face. And so we, we come across it for the first time in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve sin and they hide from the Lord's presence. Literally, they hide from the Lord's face. And we read here, God promised that his presence would be with Moses and the people. In Psalm 16, we read, You fill me with joy in your presence. There are pleasures at your right hand. So to be with God, to be in God's presence, is a matter of great joy. But being in God's presence is a bit, you know, it's a bit religious jargon for us these days. Um, Like any term that perhaps we use a bit too often, Uh, becomes a bit vague and loses its meaning. So let's let the Oxford Dictionary perhaps uh, remind us of of what presence means as well. The dictionary does talk about um, physical presence, but it also reminds us of a few phrases that we use to describe our understanding of presence. We we use a phrase to make one's presence felt, uh, which means to have a strong influence on a situation, or to have presence of mind, which means the ability to remain calm and make good decisions even in difficult situations. So presence not only means to be with, but to have, to be filled with calm, uh, to be filled with uh, peace and to have influence uh, upon something. Um, 
I was reflecting on a couple of scenarios to explain God's presence with us. I thought, if God is with us, is it a bit like, you know, as we go through life, it's like having a VIP next to us and, you know, doors will open and uh, things will things will just go really well for us because we've got this VIP who's present with us. In my personal experience, enjoying the presence of God is not like this. Or, in a similar vein, is enjoying the presence of God a bit like going into an exam and life, of course, is the exam, but what you've got with you is the smartest person in the world. So you're going to be able to consult and make all these great decisions. Um, everything, you know, you're going, to, you're going to make the right choices because you've got the presence of God with you. Well, in my experience, um, having the presence of God in my life doesn't mean getting everything right. It doesn't mean every door is going to open or that things are going to go smoothly all the time. Here is what others have said about the presence of God. They've said, It's like when a loving husband and a loving wife are at home together and all is at peace. When a loving husband and a loving wife are at home together and all is at peace. Or it's like being in the company of your best friend. Over the last year, a lot of us have been separated from our friends through the isolation that the coronavirus has brought. And we truly appreciate our friends more than we did before. We've come to value the meaning of presence. What a great thing it is to be present with our best friend. I think that's more what it's like to be in God's presence. And in Exodus chapter 33, we learn a couple of other things too about being in God's presence. We learn firstly that there's a connection between the presence of God and enjoying God's favour. God says, my presence will go with you. You've found favour with me. I will go with you and will be with you. So God's presence is a measure of God's favour. God hangs around with those who found his favour. It's like, it's like God saying, yeah, I'm with you because I'm pleased with you and I love you and I know you by name. You're acceptable to me. I accept you. I like you. I approve of what you're doing. I approve of you, or at least I approve of you. He doesn't always approve of what we're doing. Uh, you know, to find favour is to win praise from someone, to have their support. And this was true of how God describes it. You have found favour and I will be present with you. I know you by name. Moses says to him, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. Don't send us into any you know, future land unless you're with us. He doesn't want to go anywhere without that companionship of God, the very presence of God. He says in verse 16, no one will even know that you are pleased with us unless you're with us. So to have God's presence with us is to know that God is pleased with us. Sounds great, doesn't it? Secondly, he goes on to say that God's presence is the only thing that's truly going to distinguish them from every other tribe. He says in verse 16, what else will distinguish you, what else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth except that you're with us? So God's presence is what gives God's people their distinctiveness. 
Distinctiveness is not because of their practices. And in those days, it was burning offerings and going to the temple. And in our day, our religious practices, our Christian practices are different. Um, but here we learn it's not so much about our practices that make us distinctive. It's actually people detecting the presence of God with us, the fact that God is with us in a continuing way. So firstly, God's presence and God's favour go together. Secondly, God's presence and our distinctiveness as God's people go together. And thirdly, God's presence is the secret formula for finding what the Bible calls rest. That is why God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I will go with you into the land where I'm leading you, the land of Cana, the land of milk and honey, where he was guiding them, and they would find rest, rest from their toil, rest from their struggle, rest from dangers that they were emerging out of and into a life of peace. Now, sadly, we know as we read the Old Testament that God's people in the Old Testament only ever experienced that kind of peace and rest in a fragmented way because, again, of sin. Uh, they end up uh, time and time again actually being estranged from God. When we look at the New Testament, God's presence is very much wrapped up in the incarnation, that God became flesh and actually walked with us, dwelt with us, um, tabernacled with us in, in the person of Jesus Christ and achieved for us this victory over sin. So while the Old Testament people of God um, could only experience the presence of God in a very fragmented way, um, God's people in the New Testament, because Jesus has kind of like reconciled God and humanity, because God has reconciled us who were estranged from God, then we can enjoy God's presence and enter into the rest that was promised to the people in the Old Testament. Remember in the Old Testament, in this passage, um, Moses asks to see God's glory and God says he can't fully reveal his glory. He says, no one can see my face and yet live. And yet in the New Testament, we read about Jesus, that to know Jesus is to know the Father. So Jesus makes visible for us. He makes us understand about God. Um, he makes us, uh, he brings God's presence um, to, to us. Um, and he makes it possible for us to enter into God's presence, to no longer be estranged, but to be God's presence, pres God's friends, enjoying God's presence. And there's a marvellous passage in John chapter 14 where Jesus says, all of this I've spoken while I'm still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I've said to you. Peace I leave you, peace I give you. And he says also uh, a little bit earlier, he says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching and my Father will love them and we will come to them and we will make our home with them. What a promise uh, that even for us who are so far, you know, we're not in the Old Testament, we're not in the New Testament, we're far beyond that. And yet we still have this promise, Jesus says, I may be returning to heaven, but I will give you my spirit. I will dwell with you. Uh, the Father and I will come with you. The Spirit, through the Spirit, will be present in your life. So I want to put it to you that as Christian people, belief is not enough. Belief is not enough. Don't settle 
for mere belief. The ideal Christian life is not just going from unbelief to belief. It's not just going even from captivity to freedom. It's going, in a sense, uh, from loneliness and isolation, um, aloneness to being in the companionship, the, the friendship, the presence of God. Uh, going from isolation, a term that we've become very familiar with, to enjoying companionship uh, with God himself. For Christians today, the presence of God continues to be a measure of God's favour, the thing that distinguishes us, and the secret formula for us having a life that can be truly described as a life of rest, a life of peace. Well, the less we have of God's presence in our life, the less we enjoy that presence and the less distinctive we are, um, the less restful we are, the less we are able to do God's work. So I want to conclude today by asking you, is God present in your life? Do you know God's favour, his approval, his acceptance, his support? his rest? Is God so present with you that people discern that? It's not about your practices, not about what you say you believe, but people discern that there is something about you, not visible, but a discernible presence of God with you. Perhaps something they can't quite put their finger on that is different about you. You know, they say in a sermon that you should never... Um, talk about yourself unless it's in a self-deprecating way or it's it's in a, it's talking about something that happened a long time ago. So I'm going to talk about something that happened a long time ago. A long time ago um, when I was at Bible college and I'd probably been a Christian for just three years at this point. Um, I was at Bible college and um, it would be true to say I, I, I felt full of the Lord. Um, there I was sitting in these Bible lectures uh, for about four hours a day and studying the Bible constantly and, you know, um, all, all sorts of things. And in a term break, I went on a flight overseas. And for any Australian, to go on a flight overseas means sitting in a chair for a very long time. And normally we complain about it, although at the moment during the coronavirus, lots of us are kind of missing it perhaps. Um, anyway, I went on this trip and I was sitting next to this, um, this uh, young man and we struck up a conversation. And I didn't tell him that I was a Christian. It was probably, you know, 40 minutes into a conversation where I mentioned I was a Christian because it just seemed appropriate to whatever we were talking about at the time. And he said to me when I said that, he said, I knew, I knew that there was something different about you. Um, this was a remarkable thing for someone to say, effectively, discerning the presence of God, even though it wasn't visible, discerning um, something nevertheless, something was perceptible. Recently, a Facebook friend of mine wrote a tribute to a Christian friend and mentor who'd passed away, an older Christian friend who'd been a mentor to him since he was a young adult in university days. And this is what he wrote about his friend from uni days had just passed away, he says, reflecting on when he met him as a young adult, he says, I had never met anyone like him. He was a great leader. He had a genuine and exuberant faith. 
and a care for others and to be introduced to him was a life-changing experience. What a remarkable thing to say. Don't we all want to be like that? To be introduced to him was was life-changing. And he recalled that he was once on a leadership camp, um, often mountaintop experiences where you do feel very full of the Lord. He was on a, a Christian leadership camp with this fellow and a lot of others, and they were all sleeping in a very large dormitory. And he woke up just before dawn and he looked across the room and he could see this man sitting in bed praying. And he thought to himself, this guy is the real deal. He actually has a relationship with God. I didn't, said my Facebook friend. But he wanted a relationship with God. He wanted God's presence in the same way that he could detect in this other person. So he pursued it. And the man remained a mentor to him all his life. It is life-changing to be with others who we can discern, are, you know, walk in the presence of God. Um, it may not be visible, but it's perceptible. And I also want to challenge us and ask, are our churches still enjoying the presence of God? Um, or have we fallen into this habit of just making sure that we're doctrinally you know, correct, creed reciting, knowledgeable about the faith, always wanting to you know, join another Bible study group and do more study, um, with you know lots of books, <laughs> studies full of books, um, rather than having what this man describes as the real deal. Moses's relationship with God leaves us with an immense challenge, and you know as we read Exodus chapter three, what we detect is Moses's desperation. He desperately wants God's presence with him. This is the man who was on the mountaintop with God, who received the Ten Commandments, and now he's, he's like, he's not feeling it, and he's desperate for the presence of God to go with him. And that must be us as well, desperate for the presence of God in our lives. If we've learned nothing else during the corona shutdown, the coronavirus shutdown, it's that, you know, church is not just our Sunday meetings, it's not it's, it's us. Church is us. We are the church, each one of us. And we are the ones that need to walk in God's presence. That is the light of, you know, that is how we shine the light to the world. We need to spend time with God, know that God will be known by him. So what can we do? Well, the Bible is deeply encouraging that none of us are far from God um, and encourages us to reach out to God. So let's reach out to God. Um, and not be discouraged either. I mean, you know, when you meet someone who's, say, just got engaged, some young person who's just got engaged and they're full of love and, you know, they don't even have to say anything, they're so, you can just discern it about them. Um, you can discern something wonderful has happened. They don't even have to tell you. But any couple who've been married for a few decades will say, you've got to work to keep the romance there, uh, date nights and holidays together and, and gifts, and their shared pursuits, things like that takes time. So for Christians, I think the effort for us in maintaining that wonderful presence of God in our lives is around our prayer lives, such an act of faith on our behalf, such an act of faith by us. And God has said, 
you know, that we come into God's presence when we pray. Prayer is entering into the very presence of God. And we want to be in his company. We want to not be satisfied to be apart from him. We want to be desperate to be with God. You know, if God's presence with us is the secret source for the Christian life, then prayer is kind of the kitchen table where that secret source is made. In prayer we draw near. In prayer we search both our own hearts and we search for the heart of God in prayer as well. In prayer we are revived in our relationship with God. We're revived in our relationship with Jesus Christ too and and Jesus' love and tenderness and kindness come to us afresh as we pray and we abide in him. We enjoy Father, Son and Spirit. Prayer is such a simple thing actually, but it's so easily crowded out of these very fast-paced, busy, distracted lives that we live. Prayer is so easily overlooked and minimised, perfunctory, so easily perfunctory. So at the very least, let me finish for us in prayer. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come to that kitchen table of prayer where that secret source of your presence is made and enjoyed. We want your presence with us. We desperately want your presence. How can we be your people without your presence? How can we share the gospel without your presence? How can our churches recover after COVID without your presence? We can't. And so we ask for it and our hearts are turned towards you. Lord Jesus, you are the one who declared God's favour to us. You are the one who brought us back to God, reconciled us who were estranged through your death on the cross. Lord, we walk across that bridge that you've created for us afresh today. And we claim your promise of the Holy Spirit to be with us. Be with us. Holy Spirit, fill our lives, fill our days, fill our weeks and our years with the companionship of God as you dwell with us. And Father, walk with us in these troubled times and in our lives. Stay with us and change us. Stay with us that we might know your favour and that others through us will be able to glimpse the glory of your salvation. We pray in the name of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.